you can get your worship guys out and follow along with us. Uh, also, you can go to YouVersion. I believe our uh, sermon outline is inside that as well and the whole worship experience on YouVersion. You just hit live event and or put our zip code or church name in there and you can follow along. I just want to welcome you all. My name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and I just want to greet you from Connect. We are so glad that you're here. And as my son said, uh, you know, you're home. So we just welcome home. Amen? Um, we're in the final installment of our series entitled Four Cups. Can everybody just say, ah? So this is the finale. So I'm expecting that your hearts are expecting and you're going to get something good out of this final installment as we go and transition to a new series next week. But before I get going in the series today, I just kind of want to bring uh, greetings to you um, from the Association of Related Churches. Some of you who call this your home church, this is... This is your spiritual family. You have made a kind of a covenant or commitment to make this kind of, you know, you're, it's like marriage. You know, forsaking all others, I chose Stacy. you know, and we have made a commitment to each other. We have a covenant relationship with each other. This wedding ring symbolizes that uh, covenant relationship. And sometimes people get to a place in their spiritual journey, and we'll talk a little bit about this today, where you make a decision, you know what, I'm going to stop shopping, I'm, I'm locking in, I'm loading, I'm going to be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ. We believe that there is a, the church of Jesus Christ universal, but there are local expressions of the body of Christ. And in order to be effective, in order to be fruitful, we have to be a part of something that is immediate. Does that make sense? So I want to give kind of just a little bit of encouragement to our immediate spiritual family. The Bible actually says that in Luke 16, it says, whoever basically can be trusted with handling worldly wealth can also be trusted ultimately with the handling of true riches. In other words, when we cross from this life to the next life, there's going to be levels of rewards. In other words, it's not, heaven is not just about getting in and that's it, and everybody's kind of on an equal playing field. Actually, how we live this life and what we do in this life will affect our rewards in the next life. Everybody wants to be quiet on that one. Is that an amen or, or oh me? <laughs> okay, we talk about this once in a while here. So I just think that God is watching how I and how the leadership of this church stewards the finances that you invest here in this church. And I just want to give you occasionally some updates. And so this is kind of a shout out from the Association of Related Churches. I was just at our annual conference uh, this last week with my wife and uh, seeing friends and family that are there. But um, I wanted you to know some incredible things that the ARC is doing. We are a partner church with ARC. I was actually at the first round table of ARC when it just kind of kicked off and got going. And it's actually now affecting the world. Um, but to date, through our partnership with other churches, so this is what you're doing. So when you give to Connect Community Church, part, a portion of your tithe, we actually, when you tithe, this, many churches cannot say what I'm about to say. And I'm not saying that in pride. I'm saying that because I'm proud of you. But um, what we do is when you tithe, we tithe. So we live on 90% of our total income. In other words, because a minimum of 10% of what comes into this church, we invest in our strategic partners, our missions throughout the world. And one of those missions partners is the Association of Related Churches. ARC, um, one of their primary uh, reasons for existence is to plant new churches, new life-giving churches, churches just like this. How many love your church? How many think it would be good if other people had a church like this in other parts of the country? And many people come to me and they say, where can I find a church just like Connect? And I always go to the Ark. But the Ark is not everywhere. But it is growing, but it is not everywhere. And so one of the reasons that we exist as a church here is to help plant other life-giving churches everywhere. Can I have an amen? And so we do that through the Ark. And today, just, we just celebrated uh, just this last week that we have planted 502 churches. 502 churches. Is that incredible? And we just had an awesome celebration. Amen. Come on. Isn't that great? I just thought you guys should know that. We actually planted 46 churches this quarter. We have 94 churches teed up and ready to go for the remainder of the year. So we're at an incredible growth rate. The early years were very slow and took quite a bit of time, but things are accelerating. I think they're accelerating because Jesus is coming back, and he wants to get the word out as quick as possible. The most effective way in America to reach the unchurched population is through the planting of new life-giving churches. That is a statistical fact. And I want you to know that in the ark, they have over 90 percent success rate on their church plants, which is way, I mean, when I say way above the norm, like a good church planting organization has a 30 percent 
success rate. So we have over 90 within the ark. The average launch attendance, so when they have their first service, the launch attendance is 282. In those 502 churches, the average attendance was 282 people. Now, what's so cool about the ark is when you give to, when we give to the ark, they in turn make a commitment once they plant a church to turn around and give back to the ark, and then they give. So it's just in the DNA of our churches to continue to foster and develop new life-giving churches and give back to those. To date, currently, our churches and partners give $11 million a year to church planning and missions. $11 million. So is that incredible ROI? Amen. So I don't, know, I don't know if you're like a math guy like me, but when you give a certain amount of dollars, you want to get a return on investment, right? So in a sense, we take the money that you give to the church and be very practical. I don't know if this translates for you, but some people will like this. We take the money you give. We broker that to get the highest possible return in this world and in the world to come. So, so for every dollar you give, imagine that we see that multiplied to $11 million a year that's being translated in investment in the kingdom, kingdom work. So your, that's the return on your investment, but it's also building your, entire, your, your eternal retirement account. So when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to, because of how things were managed here, worldly wealth was handled well, true riches in heaven will be yours. So believe it or not, just by coming to church, making a commitment to come in covenant with that church and being a tither is producing an ERA in heaven for you. Does that make sense? And somebody's going to come up to you one day in heaven. I believe this with all my heart. And they're going to want to hug you. And they're going to they're like be a koala bear on a koala tree. And they're going to wrap themselves around. You're not going to know who they are. And they're going to thank you because you made an investment on a regular basis at Connect Community Church. And you were faithful to give. And I want to just thank you for being faithful in your giving. also want to tell you another ARC update. Um, not too long ago. Are you guys liking this? Does anybody care about this stuff? So um, just a few, couple of months ago, you know we had the hardest winter ever, right? So God put it on my heart to, um, and, and I don't, I, I just, I'm just going to say it, whatever. So God put it on my heart to try to help pastors and churches in the area that were going through a hard time. And so a lot of times we send money as a church, and, and the ark does this too, for disaster relief in other parts of the world. And sometimes there could be something that's going on in our country that we participate in. Every now and then we even, it's very, we don't even take an offering in this church. We just teach what the Bible has to say and just encourage you to give uh, predetermined, come in ready to give as opposed to being, you know, reactive in your giving and guilt and tipping God just kind of out of reaction. But every now and then we'll take an offering and encourage people to give to some effort outside of the church. But um, we've done that for years. So I just felt like God said, hey, um, why don't you call the ark and just, uh, you know, see if they'd be willing to participate in a relief effort for churches in the area. Many churches that I know that we're in partnership. And just so you know, we're not just about us four no more and just what's going on in the four walls. This church helps other churches uh, pastorally, leadership, resourcing people all over New England. So you're making a difference way beyond the four walls of this church just by being a part of Connect Community Church. And so I was aware of a lot of churches that were suffering because of uh, lost momentum, attendance, and money because they had to close services uh, because of snow, because of the excessive amounts of snow. I knew one guy that planted a church. He was only six weeks old, and he had to cancel four services. Spent thousands of dollars to promote the launch of a service only in just a few weeks to nearly kill the church. I know several churches that had to close three services. One, on the fourth service, when they're getting ready to go back to church, the pipes uh, burst at the school where they were attending. And as everybody was coming into the building, they had to send everybody home on that fourth week. How many know that would discourage people? And you know how people are. People can be very, very fickle. So there were a lot of pastors that were struggling. So just kind of put some feelers out. And we raised, in just a few short weeks, we raised $40,000 to be able to help people. And, and, and just, just so you know the relationship, too, they said, Pastor Derek, wherever you think the money should go and how much money you think should go there, I'll, we'll let you decide that. We'll just have this particular area uh, house the money, and but you determine where that goes. Is that awesome? And so I was able to just kind of say, hey, I want so-and-so to get $7,000, and so-and-so needs five, and here's why. Because they said, you have the relationship with them. So it really is the association of related churches, and they trust you to make those kind of decisions. I'm not saying there wasn't accountability and checks and balances on that, but that was the bottom line. Isn't that cool? So you were a part of that, and uh, we gave to that as well, and we were able to help some of those people, and I was with some of those pastors who normally would not be able to uh, go to a conference, and, they, and we were able to help them get there so they could get fed and filled up and built up and 
realize that they were part of a tribe of people that care about them. So I just, I want to encourage you to remain faithful because it's making a difference and it's, it's building not only things that are happening eternally, but things that are happening in the here and now as we go forward and look towards eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, so get your worship guides out. Uh, this series, again, is about taking people on a journey. Uh, this has been about uh, getting more from this life than what we're currently getting. Um, that God has more for us, and God wants that for you. And this is the, the series has been called Four Cups, but it's been over six weeks. There's been six parts to that, and that's kind of kind of been confusing for some people. But we had two introductory messages in week one. Uh, how many were here for the first week of the series? Raise your hand, good and high. Good. A lot of you were here for that. We talked about the promises of God that they are both eternal and and they're and they're unconditional and that they're timeless and they're timeless promises for a life. Of fulfillment, And the key to a promise is that it's only good to you if you know it and you pursue it. Can I have an amen? So you have to know and pursue the promises of God. The second week, we talked about Passover. And we just talked about everything that Passover is about, that God basically put these promises, these truths. He put them in a metaphor. He put them in a picture. He put them, another way, is in a, in a meal, a progressive meal. I love the relational environments that God creates to communicate truths to us, but uh, inside this progressive meal, we understand kind of uh, the why behind Passover. There was an Old Testament message, but it all culminated in a New Testament context when Jesus actually reveals he is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians tells us that. He's the last lamb. And we talked about the significance of that. We talked about the cross and the fact that none of these promises can be, cannot be fulfilled outside of connection and relationship with Jesus. Amen? Jesus' finished work gives us the power and gives us the ability to do the work and do the works of Christ on the earth. And then week three, we started the journey and we started talking about the four cups. Uh, so the first two introductory and then we started getting into this journey and the first cup, again, uh, was mentioned in Exodus and, and um, Moses receives this heavy revy from God and God tells him to go talk to the people. So let's read for the last time, let's read this theme text uh, where we see these, this, this incredible journey 3,500 years ago that applies to us today, 3,500 years later. And inside this text are what we know as the four I wills. Everybody say, I will. All right, say, I will enjoy this. Okay, good. Exodus 6, 6 and 7, here's what it says. Moses, it's, God's talking to Moses. Therefore, say to the Israelites, Moses... I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. There's the first promise, the first I will, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, we already defined this last week as salvation, or in previous weeks, as salvation. So this first I will <clears throat> was connected to this, this first cup. It stands alone. It's, it's salvation. Is a, is, it's, it's, it's instantaneous. It's done in a moment, and it, and it cannot be corrupted or mixed with anything else. And then we talked about the second promise on the journey, and that's the, it's I will free you. Everybody say, I will free you. And this is about being free from slavery, and, and this is about deliverance. Um, and deliverance is basically dealing with our sinful nature. In other words, we, we are free in that our location and ultimate destination with God has been um, redirected uh, back to heaven, eternity with him. Yep, that's great. We're free from that, being slaves. But now we've got to get the slavery out of us. We've got to get the heart of slavery, the habits, those things that kind of, the, the Bible talks about this in Hebrews, the sins that so easily beset us, kind of the ball and chain that we carry around. Yeah, I'm out of jail, but I still got this chain and ball kind of attached to me. And I'm still this jailbird, right? We talked about that already. And then the third, I will, I will redeem you. And the word that I helped you guys with to kind of understand this is restoration. And I think at last week I talked about this in particular. And if you didn't get last week's message, I strongly encourage you to get last week because it really precipitates this week. And it's critical kind of connecting you to really what's going on today. But basically restore. I gave you that Model T analogy. You know, it's restoring something back to its original intent, this, the vintage side of the way God created you. And God didn't create Israel to be slaves. He created them with a purpose and a plan. And he does that with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then he says, the fourth I will, I'll take you as my own people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Take you as my own people. This is about fulfillment. Everybody say fulfillment. So the first three are all about, again, a person, but the last one is about a people. And it says, and I will be your God. 
Then you will know, and I like to say, and only then will you know that I am the Lord. And it's a lot of times I think people are rejecting something related to Christianity that they frankly don't understand. And if they understood what God was up to on the earth and what he wanted to do through you, everybody would want it. That's, that's my conviction. That's why, that's why I work so hard to try to communicate things a certain way because I think if people could truly understand what God's trying to do, no way would they reject it. They would want it so bad. Does that make sense to anybody out there? So here's, here's where we're going with this. We've, we've been talking about what these cups mean to us today, and what I've done in the past is I've given you definitions for what these cups mean, but t- I'm not going to do that today. So when you see those four cups in there, uh, now I'm going to give you a little bit of the... We spent time doing the why behind the what. We do this in our C101 class the first Sunday of every month, which is all related to spiritual family, which is a lot of what today is about. But now I want to show you kind of what we do to fulfill why we do it. What we do to fulfill why we do it. I want to to show you how we flesh it out here at Connect because it's important that you understand this. So the cup of sanctification, look in your notes. Here's a new fill in the blank. The modern translation of this word I gave you last week was salvation, but this is how we do it. We fulfill the cup of, of sanctification through the weekend experiences or weekend services. We do it on, or you could say Sunday mornings right now, Sunday mornings. Okay, this is how we fulfill this cup. We've shaped our vision and the strategy around these four cups. And this first cup, how do we help people fulfill this first cup? We do that through the weekend worship experiences. In other words, we don't see church on Sunday for just church people. I should have got an amen out of that one. In other words, all are welcome, okay? Everybody's welcome here. But the people that we really want to help are the people who are connected. Connect wants to connect the disconnected to God, godly people in a godly place. That's why we exist. Yes or no? Okay, yes. All right? So we want to make the first cup experience, we want to make it something that people would want to come back to because our commitment is greater than, than just a short-term, one-time thing. We want to take them on a journey. So that first experience, that first encounter is critical, and you're a big part of that. In fact, the number one reason when we surveyed our church why people like to come to Connect is because we're friendly. We're friendly. Another reason people like to come to Connect is because it's fun. It's fun. Amen? We can have fun sometimes. We can have a good time once in a while. And congratulations, it's working. We are a growing church. But how many know we can do better? We can do better. We can do better. Amen? So here's the second cup, the cup of deliverance, all right? Now, that word's talking about freedom. That was kind of the modern translation there. But how do we do it? Okay, so again, why we do what we do, I'm showing you from Scripture, from Exodus, these four I wills. But what we do to fulfill these four promises, to see them come to pass, is we do number one through the weekend services, number two through small groups, small groups. This is how we help people get free, is in small groups. We want to help people get free from the heart of slavery, and we believe that life change happens in the context and the safety of something small, not something big. It's really hard to get totally free in this environment because it's me talking to you instead of all of us talking to each other in smaller groups, in the safety and security of that. When you can come out from behind the fig leaf, where you can come out and you can be vulnerable and you can be open because vulnerability leads to stability, amen? And so this is kind of the backbone of our church. And so we study on Sundays and we, and we worship and we celebrate on Sundays. But you need a place where you can go and you can just get honest and you can just say, I need help, you know? Our small group, just, just in a few short weeks, people just start opening up. We had a fight last week, you know, dang it. You know what I mean? People are, and we just got real. People are just talking about stuff that's going on, you know, or somebody's struggling with something physically. Just, it's just real life. It's awesome because we can get down to the nitty gritty. What if you were doing that week after week after week, month after month, year after year? Where would your relationships go and how much growth could you experience in your life? A lot. You could get out of this second cup, and you could get into the third cup, the cup of redemption. And we, talk, we talked about that um, as about restoration, but how do we fulfill that? What do we do to make sure people are getting through the third cup? We do that through growth track. Everybody say growth track. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to activate every single one of you in this room to understand the journey, go on the journey, and help other people go on the journey. 
Does that make sense? So you can say, I've heard this before. Well, can you tell somebody else? Can you communicate it? Can you teach it to somebody else? Well, I don't know if I could do that. Well, then you don't know it well enough. And so my job as vision requires that you spit, spray, spew. By the way, you're in the spit zone, but I'm spitting. You got you to gotta keep it coming. Vision, vision requires constant exposure. Constant exposure. So I hope you guys understand this. This is how we fulfill the journey. This is how we fulfill cup three. This is how we help people learn that they have a redemptive calling, that God wants to take you back. He doesn't want you where, he doesn't want to leave you where you are. He loves you as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. And so we do this through three weekends, three consecutive, you don't have to do them consecutively, but we can do it that way. In just three weekends, you can go through our growth track and we'll take you there systematically through a process. And it's not perfect, but it'll help you grow up and help you secure uh, your position, your role. Why am I here on this planet called earth? What, what, am I here to suck air, as I say, take up space, abuse God's grace, just live in that second cup over and over and over again? Or is there more? There's more, right? And so we do that through the growth track. Can I have an Amen. All right, today's subject, though, is the cup of praise. Everybody say praise. So this word translated is fulfillment, but how do we help people fulfill, live that fulfilled life? How do we help them live in the cup of praise? We do that through the dream team. Everybody say dream team. Dream team. Now, today, about, about 40% of our church is on the dream team, and that's really good statistically compared to what most churches do in America today. But we are not most churches. Can I have an amen to that? Okay. And so I believe with all my heart, and I'm, I've been praying that something can be transferred, transmitted, you know, that transforms you basically through this message. But these are the people who I believe are in a journey, a process to make a difference. Now, here's what I think Connect can do better. A whole bunch of stuff, but this is just one thing. I want to help people get on a team. I want it to function like a team. And I want people to know who are on that team how what they're doing is making an eternal difference. And that's a part where we are continuing to grow at. But I want you to know whether we can see it or know it, that's happening as a church today. People, people that are on the dream team are making a difference, and it's affecting eternity for sure. But God, just you may not realize this, you may not believe this. I'm going to say something that is so simple, but it has massive implications, and I pray that you grab it. But the devil has lied to so many people on this topic that I'm talking about today. So many people. God always, always intended for you to live a life of fulfillment. That's his intent. A life of fulfillment. That's it. That's as simple, but it has massive implications for you. And many have settled for way less, way less than that. And, and I just, just want to get into heaven and just keep me from messing up. And just keep me from going too far this way or that way. You know, it's all about staying on the straight and narrow. No, God wants you to take some hills. He wants you to climb some mountains. He wants you to see some new horizons. He has some things that he wants to do in you, yes, but also through you as well. And it starts within you, but it doesn't stay there. It's supposed to be something that goes through you. And so many people are living the unlived life. And so let's talk about that. Because John 10, look in your notes. John 10, 10, and I'm reading from a different translation. Today's Living Bible, it says, this. The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. But my purpose, God's purpose for you, you could say, is to give life in all its fullness. Life. Life to the full. Many people are not living life to the full. Many people are scared of dying, but they're more scared of really living. I don't know if you got what I just said, but the devil's plan is to destroy your potential at best just to let you just crawl into heaven. You know, but why, why don't we live at the level that God has? Let me give you three reasons. And all of these reasons can be addressed and are addressed by the four cups, by the four strategies of Connect Community Church. The, one of the reasons we don't live at this level is because we allow the past to cripple us. Most of us realize that we have our sins forgiven in this room. Most of us uh, recognize that. But we have an enemy. And as I talked about last week, we have a parrot that is yelling in our ear. You know what? Some of you guys remember that. And it keeps reminding us of our past. And we're going through life and we're looking through the rear view mirror instead of through the windshield. Amen. We're, it's as if we're driving backwards. 
It's like those cars, they're on the road and they're, they're going forwards, but they're cockeyed or, or they're flipped around. Have you ever been driving and you see the truck that's pulling another truck, but it's pulling the back end and so you all of a sudden you look up and you see, it looks like it's coming right at you? Yeah, I've, I've had a few of those panic moments. But we're in the past and we're not in the future and we're allowing the past to define us based on our pain, based on our problems, based on certain tragedies or things that have been to us or through us. And, and, and we, we got to get out of that. I got to hear Joyce Myers uh, this last week. How many know who Joyce Myers is? Okay, some people have issues with her. I think she's unfreaking believable. And I want to go on record just saying Mama Joyce is awesome, Okay. <laughs> Uh, but she's, she's in her early 70s, and, um, and she just preaches the word. She, and now she's at an age where she can just tell it like it is. And so she was talking to pastors and leaders, and let me just tell you something. She was letting it rip. And she didn't say some of the things she would say in this setting that she said to us. And it was just unbelievable, just unbelievable. But when I was thinking about her testimony, which I've heard many, many times, uh, you know, she was sexually abused by her father for many, many years, many, 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 many years. But she basically talked about how important it was to get healed to get healed, to get out of the second cup. And she did. She got out of the second cup and she realized what, what her teachers were saying she'd never be able to do. She'd never be able to write. She'd never be able to communicate. She's written, I don't even know how many books, like 80 books or something like that now. 80 something books. The only person I know that's written more books than her that I know or that I've, a Christian is John Maxwell. I mean, incredible. And, and she's spoken over the entire world, millions and millions of people. I mean, she's a very important person in the kingdom of God. You couldn't even get around her. She had so many bodyguards, by the way. It was so funny. It was just this little lady. You know, she's, she's not really that big. She's just this little bitty, bitty lady. Some huge guys all around her. And so I was, I was sizing them up just to see if I could take them. But uh, <laughs> just delete that from the thing. I was like, maybe I could work for her. You know, things don't work out. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> sort of. Uh, so, but I just was so impressed with just the fact that, that if we'll just allow ourselves to get healed, you know, stop staying where we are. What can God do through us? You can literally change the world. You're created to do something great, but your past cripples you. And I understand this problem full well. Almost every time before I come out to speak, I, I, it's, some, some of my staff know, but I always go in the bathroom and uh, people just think, what is he doing in there? Well, some of it is because I'm, I'm dealing with a voice. I'm dealing with a voice that's just saying, you know, what do you got to say? This isn't going to be that good, and you didn't prepare enough, and there's not enough stuff in there that's going to really affect people's lives. And, and I have to look in that mirror every single time, and I just have to kind of talk to God about it and just say, you know, God, I'm not being used because of my abilities. I'm not being used because of my competence. I'm being used because you've anointed me and appointed me for such a time as this. Help me to do a good job. I tap that mirror like it's just a game day situation before I'm getting ready to go in the tunnel, and, uh, and, I, and I hit the stage. And then after I come off the stage, I'm going to be honest with you, but literally minutes after I come off the stage, as comfortable and as confident as I am in this moment, that confidence will fade and something will come in my ear about my past, just trying to tell me, like, who do you think you are? You think that was good? Nobody was really affected by that, and so on. Listen, I understand, but you can't let those voices stop you from going forward and having victory in Christ Jesus and doing what he's called you to do. The devil will constantly try to do those things, but he's a loser and he's a liar and Jesus wins. And Brian Houston says you need to believe that your best days are ahead. Amen? Amen. Your best days are ahead. But you got to get up off your butt and you have to step out on the stage that God has created for you in your gifting and in your area and do something. Amen? Everybody's got to just sometimes just do something. Amen? Amen. Psalm 34, 4 and 6 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. People identify with this. This is what David said. I bowed down and brought, I was brought low. And this is what the devil tries to do. He tries to bring you low, but that's why God, we talked about this, he stoops down to lift you up. That's what he does with his mighty uh, acts of judgment with his outstretched arm. Amen? So that's what this whole area, this past can be dealt with. You deal with, you can face your tomorrows if you deal with your yesterdays, and you do that in the second cup. You do that in small groups. The next thing that can keep us from going forward is we let culture define us. Everybody say, culture. Culture. In other words, a lot of times we're going through life running a playbook or, or living on a script that culture has written for us, not God. I don't know if you know what I mean, but, but most people can't answer yes to the fact that we're allowing God to write the script for us. Is God writing your script? Many people can't say yes 
confidently. They're not sure of that. And so what are you living out? Are you living out something that's based on what culture says or what the devil has planned for you and all his traps? Many people are, and sometimes Christians. Or are you lured away sometimes by a counterfeit? This is very common in America today with its just preoccupation with the American dream and with success. And so you've tried career, and you've tried chasing money, and you've tried climbing the corporate ladder as my dad did before he was in ministry. And you got there, and you realized when you got to the top or wherever precipice you were allowed to go to, that the view wasn't exactly what you wanted. It wasn't so great. It lacked. It lacked fulfillment. And that will happen if it hasn't happened yet, if you are living a script that God has not written for you. And the devil's constantly trying to redefine everything in the world today. Relationships, belief. Why? To create confusion so you never find God's playbook for your life. So he's going to try to offer you these counterfeits, and then he's going to try to undermine what God is really up to, which is in your best interests, and will bring true and lasting joy and fulfillment. And so we follow what, God, what man says over what God says. Galatians 1.10, look at your notes. It says, and I'm now trying to win, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Who am I trying to live for? Or am I, am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I cannot, you cannot let culture define your life. I got to find out what God's plan is for my life. And that's what, that's, what this, that's what our growth track does for you. That's what this third cup does. It helps you figure out in a very, very quick and effective way, hey, let's get you off this path onto this path, or let's confirm you're on the right path, but let's sanctify that path. Let's make sure that you're not just looking on the path, but you're looking where the path leads. That's what we do in this part of our journey. And many people don't see that, but it's fulfilled through the growth track in cup three. So here's the third thing that kind of keeps us is we try to do it alone. Everybody say alone. alone. This is a surefire way to make sure that you never live a life fulfilled. And why would we do it alone? The answer is we do it alone because people are a pain in the butt. <laughs> Porcupine people. They just hurt. They hurt us. They create pain. They create problems. All kinds of issues come as a result of, of doing life with people sometimes. And so we, we have these experiences, and we let those experiences dictate our future experiences. Instead of learning from our experiences, growing from our experiences, instead of seeing conflict as an accident, it's an assignment for Christians. Come on, somebody. And we get better at how to interrelate with people and grow through those relationships. The, the greatest growth lids that have been broken in my life came not by my myself. Like my friends down in Louisiana, they're Cajuns, you know, and they all live down by the bayou. They say the worst person is being a, 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 by, a by yourself person, a by yourself person. <laughs> I like that. I love Cajuns. Sometimes I wish I was a Cajun, you know what I'm saying? They'll crawfish in their cricks and creeks or whatever they call them. But, but we, we, we don't want to go this way because, it, because people have hurt us. And so the devil's trying to mess you up. He's trying to mess up your marriage. He's trying to mess up your family. He's trying to mess up your kids. And you, but but here's, here's, here's another side of this. That's very short-sighted. You think he's just trying to mess up this right here around you? That's short-sighted. He's trying to do much worse than that. So when somebody's marriage fails, then we say, well, I'm not going to get married again. When somebody's relationship with a friendship fails, I'm not going to have friends anymore. And so those things are broken or breached. And as a result, we pull back. It's got, the enemy is trying to convince you not to believe in relationships at all and do life alone. It's more than just that one incident. It's short-sighted to think it's just about that. He's trying to convince you that relationships don't work. But there is no return without risk, and there is no growth without relationships. God created us to be interdependent people, not independent people. Amen. Not codependent, but not independent either. And his plan is bigger, the enemy, sometimes than our immediate problem. And he's trying to get us to never trust people. And fly solo. And so we live guarded. And it's just a lie. Ecclesiastes 4.8, look in your notes. It says, there was a man all alone. All alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was neither end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. In other words, he made money. He had some level of success. But he was still discontent. Why? Because he was doing it all what? 
alone, all alone. So cup four deals with this particular, it solves this issue of doing life alone. And this is the subject of the day. And I argue that when you had four cups of wine, everybody's happy, right? So, so let's talk about this fourth cup here and unpack this a little bit, the cup of praise. Now the cup of praise, the Hebrews called this the Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. This is where we get the word hallelujah. Now, hallelujah is actually two words. Hallel means to celebrate. Yah refers to God. So it's to celebrate God. The hallel, you know, is talking about celebration, a celebration. And it's more uh, to, uh, to the Jewish people, this was more than a momentary, you know, high in worship. In other words, we come to worship and we say, hallelujah. You know, many people don't do that anymore, but we used to do that a lot in church. You know what I mean? And so people would shout hallelujah. That was a way to just celebrate, but it was momentary. But to the Jews, this word meant much more than a momentary celebration. It actually was, it was actually referring to a life of praise, a life of fulfillment, a life of satisfaction. It meant much more. It's, it's not a problem-free life, like The Lion King, a song that's coming to my head right now, but it's making life count. It's making life make a difference. Can I have an amen out there? And so I'm going to break this promise down for you little by little, but I don't know what your resume is. I don't know what it says about you, but I was praying, and we were talking about this even before church. I want this halal life for you so badly as your pastor. You know, look at Exodus 6. It says this, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. The first clue to this promise is actually in this particular promise. It says this halal life is found when you're part of a people. You, you have to be part of a people to have this halal, this celebratory life, this fulfilled satisfying life. It's part of when you're part of something bigger than you, which we believe, and we can see throughout the entire scriptures, there's a part of a church or the family of God. And so last week, we talked about this, but you, you, you find out what your gift is, and you serve and you give through your gift. But it's not enough to just figure out what you're gifted to do. In other words, Paul calls, he refers to uh, the church as the body of Christ. So the body has many what? parts to it. So if you discovered through our discovery process that you're the hand, you're the mouth, whatever part you are, the hand needs to find its purpose by being connected to an arm. So your fulfillment is not just to figure out what you're gifted to do. Your fulfillment is when you're connected to the other parts of the body. And so when you do, the promise here says, then I will be your God. In other words, he literally steps into your life, he partners with you, and he takes you from this discovery and this phase of discovery and connects you with others to change the world. And he gets behind that, and he puts his favor and blessing upon that. And you might say, well, that's your, just your opinion, Pastor, or that's what you want us to think because you want to get something from us. So let me give you something that's non-biblical, and you can chuck it if you want to, but some of you studied this when you were in college. Anybody ever study Abraham Maslow? Abraham Maslow, he had this hierarchy of human needs. Anybody ever heard of this? I studied it when I was in college. Let me, he, he was a sociologist, psychologist, and in 1943, he discovered something that many of, of you learned while you were in college, just these human needs, and, and they, had, they, they, they basically observed human behavior, and they realized that people act out based on these certain needs that they have. And he originally came up with five needs. Later on, they discovered that there were eight needs when other science and sociologists, scientists and sociologists got involved. But here are the needs. I'll give you these quickly. Don't have to write these down. Physical needs, okay? So you just need to eat, breathe, and drink, and you're fulfilling by breathing this first need right now. Uh, safety needs. You have a need to be protected. There's something about you that, you know, wants to lock the door, look over your shoulder, just make sure your seatbelt's on, buy insurance, all those kind of things. Then you have love needs. This is a part of us where we, where we all need people. And we've talked about this many times, that we, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. We're acceptance magnets. We want to be affirmed. We want to love and be loved, okay? And then esteem needs. Esteem needs. This is the need to be complimented. Somebody comes alongside you and gives you a high five and add a boy and tells you you did a good job and, and affirms the things you're doing. And we're drawn, even as men, sometimes we're drawn to environments where, where we are esteemed highly. It's actually a, one of the top needs of a man is to be an admired or to be esteemed. But these first four needs are 
what's known uh, by these scientists as the deficiency needs. These are the needs that just keep you at baseline, just keep you surviving, just keep you going through the day. But when they went further, when they discovered um, more information about human behavior, they realized that there were these fulfillment needs. There was another level of life. Is everybody tracking with me out there? And so here's some of the other ones. Cognitive needs. Cognitive. We have a need to understand stuff. You see this in young children. They ask questions. Daddy, why this? Daddy, why that? Why, 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 why? And you want to slap them. And I mean, love them and answer all their questions. And, and uh, I really do love kids, in case anybody's wondering. This is, yeah. Um, so several people walked by me last week at the exit door. They're like going like this with their kids. Like, he's right there. He, I think he has duct tape. Um, <laughs> But you, you, there's need for questions, but that actually doesn't go away. A lot of times my wife should be asking me questions about certain things because she wants to know. She wants to understand. I ask questions of certain people. You want to know certain things. Aesthetic needs is another fulfillment need. This is the need for things to be beautiful. Uh, this is why we like lawns groomed really well, men. This is why women, you just bought the fern at Lowe's yesterday. This is why we work in the garden. This is, this is why we do things to our house. And this is why we love beaches and mountains and creation and the ocean waves and all that kind of stuff. And we paint our walls. But the next two are the most interesting. And the, the next two needs, number seven and eight of the hierarchy of human needs, one is called self-actualization. Now, it would take a scientist to come up with a word like that. But self-actualization needs, this is when we need to realize and fulfill our potential. There's a need in us that wants to have dominion over an area of our life. We want to succeed. We want to win. We want to, we want to conquer. We want to do well at something and, 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 and win in life. And Maslow, when he was first studying it, he thought this was the pinnacle. This is where everybody wants to go. This is enough. And, and for years, that was the top, let's just say, of the food chain. But they found out there was something greater. And there was something greater than you fulfilling your own singular potential than that. And they came to realize that there was a need by people to leave something behind, to leave a legacy, that, that success had succession. Is anybody getting what I'm saying here? That there was something that would go beyond you and me and our own singular human potential, something that would outlast. And they call this transcendence, transcendence needs. And you can look it up if you want on your own, but it means living beyond yourself. The highest level of living, not just according to the word of God, for some of you that just want to discredit that or maybe just, or it's marginalized or you just don't take it for what it is, but even, even the world understands that the highest level of living is when you're living beyond yourself, when you're living a life of legacy, when you're realizing that it's not just about you, but it's, about, it's not just about me, it's about we, it's not just about you, it's about us. And God answers all of this and says, I will take you as my own people. And God has something for you that is beyond what you see. And I, and I think that he wants to look at a people group, a church. And this is what I, it's more than come to church and just listen to me. He wants to do something through us. That's why it's so important that you go from that seat and you get into a journey and a process and get a part of something because God wants to do something beyond this, the celebration. He wants us to get to work and do something to change the planet. And that's where ultimate fulfillment comes in. And this can only happen when you drink of the cup of praise. Ultimate fulfillment comes when you're a part of a family and a church that's making a difference because God is on your side. So all of these messages, they lead up to this finale. Let me give you how we drink from this cup in just a few seconds, okay? Here's how we do it. It begins with a calling. Everybody say calling. Every one of you must come to realize that you are called. Everybody say, I'm called. In other words, it's all, just like my son was saying, the family was missing someone. Mallory, when Mallory wasn't there, the party was good, but it's way better when Mallory was home. The volume went up when Mallory was there. Things went to a, another level when Mallory was there because the whole family was engaged and connected. You're called. It's like playing a sport without the whole team. You can play, but it's not the same. When you don't have a good bench, when you don't have all the players in their role or in their slot or in their lane, you can maybe play, but you can't play as well. And people, I think you sometimes think I'm the only one who's called as the pastor, but we're all called according to God's word. And you don't have to be a professional Christian to, or, or a full-time uh, pastor to be called. 
You could be called in whatever occasion, whatever role you have in life. That's what I think sometimes we don't see. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to show forth the praises of him. In Ephesians 3.10, it says, through the church, that's us, not just a pastor, that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the whole earth. Your calling is, is 2 Timothy 1.9. It's in your notes. It said, God saved us and then called us. Everybody say, called us. You're called. He saved us. Okay, good. But then he wants us to do something. He called us to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about. So what is your calling? It's to make a difference. I want to make a difference. Everybody's calling, everybody's called, and everybody's called to make a difference if you're a Christ follower. And listen, you are called to make a difference if you're a part of Connect Community Church. You might come here, and if you want to come here and just, it just it's sit and soak, and just you got an issue today, and you want to be prayed, we're going to pray for you, we're going to love you, but at some point, I'm just going to tell you, this might not be the church for you if you don't want to be a part of something bigger than that. Can you handle that? I'm not Joyce Meyer, and I'm not 72 years old. I can't say whatever I want, but I'm going to tell you that as your pastor. That sometimes it's got to get get off the seat, you know, out of the stands, into the game. There's a day for that and a place for that. And listen to this. People lose their way when they lose their why. People get sidetracked and lose their way when they don't know why they're here and they're not doing what they're created to do. And you're not created to do something alone. You're created to do something with a people. And if you don't know why you're on this planet, you'll wander around forever. What am I going to do today? You know, what am I going to do? I don't know. I guess I'll put this fire out. Oh, look at what's coming here. I think I guess I can deal with that. You know, and just live in the tyranny of the urgent, and you'll never get into the important. You'll lose your way if you don't know your why. Number two, it stands on a cause. So your calling stands on a cause. This is to clarify the fact that you're not just called to do whatever you're gifted to do, play guitar, you know, sing, write a book, climb a mountain, you know, make money. No, the world is preoccupied, preoccupied with human accomplishment and human achievement, but God has more than that. He has a cause that counts for something. It's bigger than that. It's about doing something that matters. Acts 20, 24 says, but my life, look at what Paul says, is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And so you're supposed to use your job, you're supposed to use your money, your house, your talents, your car, your truck, you know, whatever, your family, everything is for the purposes of God. It's built on a cause, a cause that counts. And so it's okay to use all that stuff and have fun, but ultimately, ultimate fulfillment is going to come when you're using it for something greater. And so here's here's your fill in the blank. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. In other words, it's, it's at the end of the day, what does that look like? It's about, you can put this as bonus. It's about people and it's about heaven. Things that make a difference are all about people and they're all about heaven. That's what it is. You can't, you can't, do it unless you're focusing on people. And the last thing is, you cannot commit this last one and drink the cup of praise. It must spread from me to we. Everybody say, me to we. Me to we. Me to we. Now, we help the people get from me to we through the dream team. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. In other words, one plus one doesn't equal two. It equals ten. You get a greater return when you're connected with other people. And so I want to make a difference with people who want to make a difference. That's the next fill in the blank. I want to make a difference with people who want to make a difference. And so my, you know, there's some vision I can't even share this morning, but uh, most of my vision is to help figure out what your vision is. And let's do it. Let's do it. But you got to get off, you got to get off your blessed assurance. Okay, because I think God wants to take what's here and put this church in neighborhoods all over the state of Massachusetts. I think God wants to help us get to a point where we can leverage what God is doing here and help pastors by the hundreds. Last year, we had just under 100 pastors in this room that we are training and equipping. But I think God wants to do way more than that on a way more regular basis than doing that. It's not what I can do. It's not what you can do. It's what we can do together. Can I have my family come down here real quick and just join me, my kids and my wife, my son? I want to say something. I don't, I don't know if this will come out right, but um, just all you beautiful people stand right here. 
front of dad. You get to face everybody. This is Madison. This is Morgan. This is Stacy, my other daughter. <laughs> this is my handsome son, Devin. <clears throat> now, oftentimes they just introduce themselves as, as you know, Stacy. I'm a member of the dream team. Devin, I'm a member of the dream team. But this is my family. And, and I was thinking about what the win for me as a father is, and by the grace of God, I can say this, that all my kids, um, they love their dad. My wife loves her husband. Um, they love Jesus. And by the way, my, my oldest daughter's not here, Mallory. She was referred to earlier. Uh, she's in Alabama, but they, she loves her dad. She loves Jesus. And they all love his church. They all love his church. And it's a blessing to be able to say that. And again, by the grace of God, we're not perfect, and, uh, and we have problems. We have a lot of fun. Um, but one of the things um, we talk about a lot is, you know, how... Uh, you, we actually surveyed the church recently, and this was, it was hit me really hard. It's like the number one thing that people said they loved about Connect was how friendly it was. The number two thing was the impact of the family, pastor's family. That was the number one two reason. And I thought it wasn't an individual, which is very common sometimes for churches. It's just it's one kind of iconic personality or whatever, and there needs to be influenced by the senior pastor, but it was the family. That was the number one thing. And we've talked about this with my wife and I countless times and with our kids, but we've said behind the scenes that people ultimately, they're not going to follow if they don't see it work between Stacy and I, and if they don't see it translate into family. Ultimately, it's like, ah, you know, why would I go there? You know, why do I want what they have if it doesn't work for them? Is anybody tracking out there? This is some of the problems that, I, that people have with religion. They talk about different things, and they're, they, they, they're not married. They can't even get married, or it doesn't work if they are married, or the divorce rate's higher. And, and again, I know they're a problem. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm just trying to say, what happens when a family comes together that it's centered around love for God, love for each other, love for his church, and his values? What can happen? What kind of impact? So, and we always tell our kids, how... Uh, inextricably linked, the success, the health, when I mean success, I mean health of Connect is inextricably linked to the health of our family uh, and the health of relationships that we have and their impact on the church, their testimony, their witness. Uh, all of my kids, they know their gifts. All of them know their gifts. Um, some of them, you know, living in them and functioning in them at different levels and different degrees. Devin in particular, probably the most, and Mallory the most pronounced is my oldest children. Mallory sings on a worship. She's on stage every single Sunday at Church of the Highlands down in Alabama. You know, all over TVs and everywhere, plastered all over the place. And uh, knows her gift. God's using her. Uh, and, and, and those gifts um, were our quest to help them figure out what those things were. But not so they could just use them for themselves. And we've been telling them that since they were just knee-high to a grasshopper, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so, I don't know, when I was thinking about our family, I was just thought, I need to just show you something. Like, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. If, the, if what you said is true, which I believe it is, if our family can influence all, as my wife would say, all y'all, <laughs> then what can our family do that has the same values, the same vision, the same motivation beyond the four walls of this church. Are you guys tracking with what I'm saying? That means, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand up. We need to come together on that. What if, what if, our, spiritual, what if our spiritual family, what if you knew your influence and capacity to influence and you stepped into that? You became a, a, you became a committed part of the family. We have our differences. We have our difficulties, but we're family. It ain't nothing going to break this up. We, we'll, we'll, we'll fight it out to the bitter end, but we're together no matter what to the end. And we've had our bumps and we've had our bruises and all hell has tried to break this thing up many, 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 many times. But the capacity and influence of one family, it's generational too, because my mom and dad aren't here today, they're in New York, but this thing's generational, but you, 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 you don't realize, that's what I, I, I ache as a pastor, you know, just like I have as a father, as a father, like, I just want to, I want my son and my daughter to find out what they're called to do, 
and do it with all their heart and be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's what I want as a father. But as a pastor, and, and I would just say on behalf of my family, as a family, that's what we want for you. That's what we want for you so bad. You guys can sit down. Thank you so much. I love you. Okay, look in your notes. I just want to give you this final thought as I conclude the series and this message. The Passover experience actually had 14 steps in it. And, and, and believe it or not, um, as Jesus is going through this and teaching this to them, they eventually, on, on the day of Passover, they have supper. After the lamb is eaten, they actually drink the third cup. And I, I saw something I never saw before in this particular text. But in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, and Pastor Deed, you can come. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And again, this is the second thing that happens in the, after the first cup. But after Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. And they were all following along here, all the disciples while he was doing this. And then he took the cup. And by the way, Luke, all the gospels are consistent, but Luke adds one detail. And in this translation, it doesn't say it, but in Luke it says, after supper, he took the cup. So we know from Luke's gospel that this was the third cup. So then he took the cup, this is the third cup, and he gave thanks and offered it to them. And he said this, he said, drink from it, all of you. And watch what he says next. He says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. I don't know if you know what just happened here, but he, Jesus, didn't finish the Passover with them. In other words, which means the fourth cup was not drunk. The fourth cup of wine was not drunk that night. Why? Why did Jesus do this? I'm sure the, I'm sure the disciples were probably confused because they knew the Passover experience. Aren't you going to drink the fourth cup? No, I'm not. Why not? I'm going to explain to you. Because I'm not going to drink it until later. Why are you not going to drink it later? Because I'm going to drink it when we're in heaven together. <laughs> Jesus himself will drink the final cup with you and with me in heaven. Is that awesome or what? That's what he's saying there. So cool. And so Jesus is waiting for you and me to get to heaven so he can drink the cup. And you may, I don't know what you know about heaven, but it's so cool. But when we cross the line from, from now, the temporal, to the eternal, basically there's going to be an, there's gonna be a wedding celebration. It's a wedding celebration. And we're going to all go to a wedding reception, and Jesus is going to be probably standing in front of all of us, and he's going to say, hey, everybody, welcome. Let's all lift our cup together as we celebrate. We're all here as a family. I'm so glad you're here. Come on, somebody. It's going to be a huge celebration with Jesus at what's known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we will all drink the fourth cup together in Jesus' name. Is that an amen or what? Amen. amen. I just don't know if you see how exciting that is. Revelation 19, 19 says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In other words, let me say it this way. Don't miss the party. You've all, the first cup is the wedding invitation. And you have to RSVP. You have to respond to that wedding invitation. In other words, to experience the first cup with Jesus in heaven, you, excuse me, the fourth cup with Jesus in heaven, you have to experience the first cup with Jesus on earth. All of you have been given a wedding invitation, but maybe not all of you have received it. My mom used to always invite me to eat dinner with her. She'd invite the whole family, but I was one of the only ones that showed up for dinner every single night. And the next day, we, my mom and I would always go around to everybody in the family and just say, oh, you missed it. You missed a great meal. Oh, it was so good. It was so filling. It was so filling. And there's a meal that is so filling and so rewarding. But many people are going to miss it because they haven't experienced and received the first cup, the invitation for Jesus. Would you just close your eyes and let me pray for you right where you sit, right where you sit. And maybe you're listening online, this applies to you, but to have that marriage supper of the Lamb one day, this is so important. This day may not come tomorrow, but it will eventually come where we will cross from this life to the next. And all you have to do, the wedding invitation has been addressed to you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. There's your wedding invitation. Will you receive today what Jesus did for you so you can rejoice with him in heaven in a party at the marriage supper of the Lamb and drink the fourth cup, the cup of fulfillment with Jesus and all of your family? If that's you today and you're not certain you've ever done that, I'm not going to call you out, embarrass you or anything like that, but right where you are, would you just say, that's me, Pastor? Would you pray for me? I want to accept that invitation today and invite Jesus Christ into my life. Would you raise your hand good and high and say, that's me. God bless. Anybody there says, that's me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. I may not have seen every hand, but God saw your hand. Would you just say this with me? And everybody pray this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for that invitation. I accept. I respond. I believe that you are the Son of God who gave your life for me. I receive today by faith salvation, by grace. Nothing I could do. I want to be certain today that I will be with you eternally, now and forever. I want to be at that party in heaven. I receive what you did for me. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you seal that commitment and that you help them see that this is the start of an incredible journey, that they've received the first cup, and that is solid, that is secure, and it's done just like that. And I pray in Jesus' name that they walk by faith, that they take the next step, and they get out of just slavery and get the slavery out of them and they find out what God's called them to do and they get connected to a people and God truly changed their lives and they live a fulfilled life in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the place. Yeah.